Hi, this is Sergeant Betsy Brander-Smith with the National Police Association, and this is the NPA Report. I have with me a, a guy I've known for many years and a fellow sergeant, although, you know, I'm a city cop. He was state police. It's a whole different deal. But uh, shortly after we got to know each other, um, my guest was involved in a, uh, in a really significant traffic crash that really changed his whole life. And it, it looked like it was gonna change it for the worse. But in reality, because of the guy he is, uh, it changed his life for the better. Sergeant Bob Bemis, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much for having me, Betsy. Always good to see you. To talk about how your crash happened, you were just being a good guy. Um, that morning, uh, I was in the town of Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. Um, my assignment was to give a period of instruction to a group of Wilkesbury police officers on the dangers of people who have uh, extremist anti-government views. Um, this was a class that I'd actually developed a couple of years before. I was in a training assignment. I was a supervisor in our operational training division at the Pennsylvania State Police Academy in Hershey. Um, so I was, I was in Wilkesbury that morning for uh, this program. I had given the program uh, and finished up in the early afternoon. And then I uh, packed up my car and began the, uh, the drive back to Hershey. Uh, I remember that the road and weather conditions were actually pretty good for the end of March and that I was making great time. But as we know, I was in an unmarked police car. I always make great time. Uh, and so traveling south on uh, Interstate 81, I was just past the town of Rackville when I observed a vehicle on the side of the road that was on fire. I stopped my unmarked police car on the berm behind that vehicle uh, the evidence says that I got the fire extinguisher out of the trunk of my car, and I say it that way because I actually have no memory from about five minutes before to about 24 hours later when I woke up in the hospital. Uh, amnesia is a very real thing. Um, and so anything that I've been able to learn at that point as to what happened, I've actually had to learn from speaking with the witnesses and first responders to the crash. But I stopped my vehicle. Uh, and got the fire extinguisher out of the trunk of my car. I was walking with the disabled vehicle's operator along the guardrail in the direction of the fire when the lights went out. Smoke from the fire was now getting out into the roadway. Vehicles that were approaching the scene were uh, hitting their brakes and performing steering maneuvers in an attempt to avoid colliding with one another. A SUV driven by a woman from Norfolk, Virginia, uh, traveled off the roadway. She struck the guardrail. She continued along the berm and she hit the back of my car. My car then went forward and hit both myself and the disabled vehicle's operator. Uh, it stinks to get hit by a car. It stinks even more when it's your own car. It really does. Um, uh, after the accident uh, or the crash, um, I was pretty badly injured. Two of the witnesses to this crash were actually police officers from the Amtrak Police Department. And Upon seeing the crash, they immediately stopped and came to my aid. And, and both of them, when they came upon me, they thought I had been deceased. But fortunately, they went a little bit further and, uh, you know, found some signs of life, but they also realized the trouble that I was still in. Uh, smoke from the fire and the flames were now spreading toward the fuel tank of the, of the disabled vehicle. Uh, and so one of the Amtrak officers emptied several fire extinguishers. Uh, along with an arriving trooper from our, our, our local barracks and the other Amtrak officer uh, 
stayed by my side and began to assess my injuries. Um, and all three of those people saved my life. Yeah, and I have seen, you know, photographs of the crash scene and it's it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary anybody was alive from that whole situation. And uh, and it, it and as you talk about it, you know, it seems like a movie, right? Flames and and uh, maybe a dead cop and and maybe uh, we're going to have an explosion. Just extraordinary. You know, you're a guy. OK, so here you are. You're the training sergeant for a large agency and a, and a real squared away agency. Um, you're a husband. You're a dad. Uh, you're real athletic. Um, you know, because you, you're the training guy, you got to be in good shape. You know, you've been a cop, you've been a Marine. Um, what was that like as you're laying there in the hospital, you know, trying to get better from all these injuries and your life as you know it is just before your eyes dramatically changing, isn't it? Well, it's interesting. You know, I always like to say, if you want a little perspective on life, try nearly get killed. It'll, uh, it'll change everything. And, you know, um, obviously there's no secret, you know, this is 2015, this is six years ago. Um, even then the, the profession of law enforcement's taken a couple of pretty tough hits on the chin. And, uh, you know, it was very difficult to wake up each day prior to this. Um, and all of a sudden somehow be made out to be the bad guy. Um, and what happens is, is that that starts to lead toward having a not so great attitude. Um, and for somebody with only, you know, with only maybe a few months left before they retired, that may not be such a bad thing. But with three years left at that time in a career that seemed to be on an upward swing, you know, nothing good comes from, uh, you know, a, a trooper with short timer syndrome. So, um, you know, what was interesting was, is when I woke up that 24 hours later uh, in that hospital bed, tubes in my throat, not being able to speak, um, all of that negativity disappeared the very, very second that I thought that my career was actually over. And, you know, and it was at that point um, that I vowed that I was gonna do anything I could to get back to the job that I loved. So, um, you know, from that moment on, therapy and everything that followed was about trying to get me back to that position to where I could get back to full duty. And, and although I never got there, um, I was very fortunate to be have the chance to get back to, to, to serving, uh, get back to having a chance to be, uh, you know, the voice of, of of training for law enforcement agency to try to help those officers do their jobs better and safer. And, uh, you know, that was, you know, to me, uh, that was the victory. The victory came, you know, it wasn't in getting back to full duty. The victory came when, when I had gotten to a point where I could retire because that's what we all work for. Bob, what, um, what role did faith play in your recovery? <laughs> I laugh again because, you know, certainly, Faith is a fluid thing, uh, you know, it, it definitely, it, it ebbs and flows. And, and you know, prior to this, um, you know, I, I, had, I had struggled with my faith. I struggled with, you know, um, you know always doing the right thing and, and uh, you know, following, following the good word. And, and um, that saying that there are no atheists in the foxholes is absolutely true. You become very, very, aware of your mortality and, and that you need to get get yourself right you know um and so yeah i mean immediately after um you know i began to you know <laughs> he has a way of tapping you on the shoulder so i began to you know obviously to, to pay a little bit more attention to that and i i definitely needed the spiritual help um and you know i would 
Uh, every day I would have people tell me that they were praying for me and I would tell them, keep going because it's working. You know, it's absolutely working. And, and so, you know, I have to, I have to give thanks to, I have to give thanks to God for getting me to this point, you know. So you go back to work, uh, uh, not on, you know, not on patrol, but back to your job as a training commander. Is that right? Yeah, as a training sergeant, I went back and I, and I actually uh, re resumed my teaching career, traveled all over Pennsylvania teaching my classes. Uh, and as long as I could stand in front of a group of people and communicate information, I can, you know, I can be effective. Excellent. So you decided uh, after coming back to work, then at, at some point you decided, like we all do, to uh, go ahead and retire. So here you are. You could sit on the couch or sit on a beach or whatever and be that retired cop. Uh, but you chose a very different path. And in fact, you actually chose multiple paths. Um, and one was to talk about your experience with the crash um, not to glorify yourself, but to get people to understand how important it is. Because here's one of the things, Bob, I don't think a lot of people know, especially right now. We're talking about, you know, how officers are getting killed, you know, officer ambushes, gunshots, you know, things like that. But year after year after year, more police officers die in motor vehicle crashes uh, or getting hit by vehicles than we do by felonious assaults, right? That's absolutely true. And, uh, you know, certainly not something that a, a lot of officers even consider uh, in the day to day when they're actually performing their duties. They, they, they almost take it for granted uh, that particular uh, part of the, the risks that are involved. They take for granted um, because they just don't think it'll happen to them. They think that the, the, the emergency lighting, the flares and all of the other um, warning signals that are out on the, on the highway are going to be enough to protect them and it's absolutely not true. Unfortunately there are so many struck by incidents that are taking place year after year and it isn't just law enforcement officers it's 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 firefighters it's EMS it is towing and recovery they are the towing and recovery folks are getting are getting killed at a much greater rate than any other occupation out on that highway um, and it isn't until something like this happens to you that you you become very concerned about those dangers. So well, and, and that, yeah, that's, that's the thing is we get we in law enforcement, fire, ambulance, tow drivers, even uh, uh, roadway workers, we get very comfortable with being right in there in the traffic, and and we start to get complacent and not pay attention to it, right? That's, that's absolutely correct. And, and so um, one of the things that, that, I, that I decided that I wanted to dedicate my life to afterwards was, was being an advocate for traffic safety and, and um, you know, trying to get that message out of you know, the proper way to set up a, a, an emergency scene, clearing that scene quickly, and not only educating the, uh, the emergency responders, but, but also being a voice to educate the public as to what their responsibilities are when approaching an emergency scene, why they need to slow down and move over to, to give a little bit more room to work, why they need to be focused on things outside of their vehicle, not everything that's important to them on the inside of their vehicle. And so um, that's, again, one of the things that I'm, I'm proud of is, is having, having the opportunity to, to lend my experience to 
you know, to that cause. So here we are in the age of um, defund the police, reimagining the police, all of that. And one of the things that some of the um, some of the larger urban areas and, and many progressives are calling for is to take law enforcement out of traffic safety, do away with traffic stops, do away with um, uh, you know enforcing things like license plate violations, you know, et cetera, et cetera, making a, a lot of traffic safety, even, and now we can go back to Atlanta to the Rayshard Brooks case. There was a call to why are we arresting people for drunk driving? Which was just extraordinary because you know you and I know as do millions of people how uh, many lives law enforcement saves by arresting people for impaired, intoxicated, or distracted driving. But you know here we are in a an era of let's take cops out of traffic. As a guy who worked in an agency who deals primarily with traffic, what's your thoughts on that? Well, obviously, if I can use a, you know, I mean, if I could say it's absurd, it is absolutely absurd to, to think that you can, you can somehow come up with a, a better mousetrap, if you will, to, uh, to enforce traffic regulations. People will not respond to uh, suggestion. Sometimes there has to be an enforcement that backs up that suggestion. It's important for those drivers to, to, to understand that there, there is something going on outside of that vehicle. There is uh, a person who has a family, whether that person is a police officer, whether that person is a construction worker, whether that person is a firefighter, that there is somebody outside there that has a family. Um, and you know, certainly if they are not willing to acknowledge that fact, then there obviously has to be consequences. Nobody has the right to hurt somebody else with poor decision. Bob, that's a great way to put that, is that, is that we've got to have people go outside of themselves and understand that it, you know, it's not just their own situation that they're affecting. And, and, and to that end, um, that's what you've been doing with your life. So you're not just, you know, you didn't, you're not just going out and speaking about what happened to you, but you got involved in some different things. And one is uh, you're now involved in the private sector that is trying to bring better simulation training to law enforcement. I, I think a lot of people think the simulation training that law enforcement's involved in is like a video game or, or a whatever. Um, can you talk about some of the new technology that we're, we have and are going to have in law enforcement simulation training? Sure thing. I am actually the director of training for a company called Rap Reality. Uh, and what we offer is immersive, fully immersive virtual reality simulation training for law enforcement. Law enforcement's been using simulators uh, to train with and you know, exercise judgment, decision-making skills, and, you know, and, and all of their other training since the mid eighties. But uh, only recently have we had the technology that allows us to use fully immersive virtual reality with the, the headset on um, and allowing that officer to step outside of that training room and be placed on the side of a highway, be placed in the back alley uh, of a business at three o'clock in the morning um, and 
you know, fully immerse themselves into that so that no matter where they look, they are completely immersed into that environment. Um, and so this is the, the, the type of training that rap reality is trying to bring. The other thing that's important is, is recognizing that not only um, should you use those simulators, which have been largely used as a use of force training system um, and incorporate now other types of skills training, such as de-escalation training, communication, process and procedure, community policing, um, all of those different types of things that officers get trained for um, so that they're not just going there. Um, and, and I'm sure that you use those simulators yourself. And, and, you know, back in the day, it wasn't a matter of if you were going to pull your gun out, it was a matter of when. Um, and now we actually have the ability to, with the interactivity capability of these systems, to be able to carry on conversations with people, to use it for setting up situations, training situations that have absolutely nothing to do with use of force and everything to do with helping the people in your community. And we offer a wide variety of different training scenarios for that. So the type of training you're talking about is, it's uh, not cheap, right? So defunding the police is going to lead to less training, right? When something like this that will help with everything from not just use of force, but um, like you said, uh, you know, CIT, uh, you know, critical incident, um, mental health management situations, community policing, dealing with the public, all aspects of law enforcement, this kind of training is going to actually uh, benefit everyone and, and even satisfy those people who are saying, you know, police need more and better training. And yet, if we talk about defunding the police, the, this type of training is not going to be available, right? Well, I, you know, obviously, we, we want to be able to, to, to continue to be able to train with, with, with law enforcement agencies. And, and certainly, um, the funding becomes the, the central issue for being able to afford this type of technology. We try to make it affordable, but at the end of the day, you know, um, you know it, it's something that if, if there are efforts to reduce funds to, uh, to an agency, um, you're absolutely correct. They, they, they're, you know, training is always the first casualty of that. But, but what RAP Technologies is trying to do is, is, is trying to look at ways that we can do our jobs just a little bit better, a little bit safer, um, and provide options to those officers and to those departments that, uh, that are a little bit more um, in line with what the public is looking for. Uh, in, from from police, and so uh, we can offer training in the um, various de-escalation type of scenarios where you know uh, that officer is is strictly using his verbal skills, his or her verbal skills, into uh, you know to resolving that situation, diffusing that situation. Um, we're also you know looking at different ways that we can provide training for. Um, you know, that police officer that isn't something that they normally train. In this case, um, you know, we have one situation that we put the officers in that's a duty to intervene. And so again, we're, you know, what we're saying in law enforcement is, is that we're not opposed to better training. You know, we're not opposed to doing better training. Um, and we recognize that sometimes we need to consider things that we may not have considered in the past. And so 
know, if we can, if we can provide those, those types of situations and allow those officers to recognize, uh, you know, important things that they need to get themselves involved in, then that does become something that they can do out on the street uh, and they can become a more effective officer. Bob, that is so well put. Um, we are not, we law enforcement are certainly not opposed to constantly improving, getting better at what we do, and even changing what we do when that change will positively impact not just us, but the people that we're trying to serve and protect. And I think that's what you guys at RAP Technology are, are trying to do is to make those improvements to benefit everyone. Uh, where can people find more information? Uh, for, for all of the RAP stuff, they can find information by just going www.rap.com. Uh, and they can find information on not only RAP reality, but also the, the flagship piece of training equipment that, or piece of equipment that we offer. And that is the Bola Wrap remote restraint device, which is another ingenious, innovative, um, you know, creation uh, that allows officers to be able to safely take people into custody before it even gets to a point where they actually have to go uh, hands-on and, and, you know, run the risk of causing an injury. Sergeant Bob Bemis, you've given us so much to think about, so much more to talk about. I'm going to have to have you back. Thanks so much for spending time with us. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.